0: I have come to the conclusion that the great majority of professing Christians do not pray at all. That was written by J.C. Ryle in his book, Practical Religion, in 1878. I have come to the conclusion that the great majority of professing Christians do not pray at all. Ryle, who was an Anglican by practice, but a proud, as he labeled himself, evangelical churchman, committed to the gospel. He wrote that at the age of 62, having been in the ministry and a Christian for nearly 40 years. He wrote this observing that there is no duty in religion so neglected as private prayer. Here's my point. A lack of prayer is not a new problem. It's not a new problem. A lack of prayer seems to be a persistent problem among Christians, particularly professing evangelicals. This has persisted so much that Richard Lovelace, in his 1979 book, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life, which, if you don't know, had a tremendous amount of influence on the life of tim keller which says something in his book in 1979 he wrote almost that prayer had become almost vestural, vestral as in like your appendix like an organ that is there in form but nearly useless in function is prayer a vestral organ of the church today You see, the the problem continues to persist. D.A. Carson in his book, Praying with Paul, which he first wrote in 1992 and then updated in 2014, writes more than 20 years ago, reflecting back into the early 90s, in the first edition of this book, the initial few pages argued that the most urgent need of the church in the Western world today is the need to pray. And he reiterates that 20 years later in 2014 by subtitling the first section of his introduction, Neglected Prayer. Gary Miller, who in his 2016 book, Calling on the Name of the Lord, which I would highly recommend, along with Carson's book, if you want to read about prayer. In his book, Gary Miller, writes that he, a section dedicated at the very end of the book, he gives us this great biblical vision and survey of prayer throughout the Bible. He starts in Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. But at the end of the book, he dedicates an entire chapter to diagnose why evangelicals pray less today than they have in the past. In Miller's diagnosis, he gives six factors that he explains that are the modern-day weights that bear upon us and keep us from praying. He he talks about that life is easy. Who needs to pray when life is going good? That there's a communication revolution, and now we can communicate with our smartphones and, and, and communicate constantly and repeatedly and unendlessly with each other, and so we communicate in other ways that even the rise of bible study groups which is both a blessing and in some ways has become a curse upon the church because we will give more time to studying the bible than doing it that there's the availability of good teaching i mean why need i mean let's be honest on the scale of my preaching today i'm probably mediocre i don't say that as an act of humility there are many great men who preach better than i do and there's many men that preach worse than i do that's not a knock on them all right But the reality is, if you don't like my preaching, you can come, take it as it were, leave here, go search on the internet, and find a much better sermon. You can do that before you get to your car today. So why do you need to pray for your your preacher? Because you've got someone else to replace him. Or the dominance of pragmatism, which has so haunted the evangelical church and various movements over the last 50 years. In which it gave itself over to think we will attract people into church through the means of this world rather than have god draw them into the church through the means of the holy spirit or bluntly we're just cynical miller says prayer just really doesn't work so why bother you know it fundamentally i think miller gets it right We just don't feel the desperate need in our gut, in the bones of who we are, that we must pray. To put it another way, we have lost our desperation for and our dependence upon God. We will find another way to do the work that only God can do or so our sinful pride thinks it can. It's really not that we've lost our sense of obligation or our duty to pray so much as we've just lost our desperation to pray. We know we should pray. We offer a short prayer right before a meal. Or we had that meeting, oh yeah, we should pray, so we tack it on at the end. Or we quickly get to it because we can't forget to pray as if though it's a formula that if we stick it on the end, God will start to take notice. And the reality is we've lost our desperation. You know, Miller himself, let's be honest here for a moment. He admits prayer is one of the greatest struggles in his own personal life. It's interesting to hear him. I heard him interviewed. He says, I'm writing this book on prayer thinking, I don't want to write this. I don't do it. And he's a minister of the gospel, a pastor, and he just admits it is one of the hardest things for him to do. Tim Keller, who's written a book on prayer, and he talks about prayer out of the Psalms, which a book I commend to you to read as well, to get a feel for how the Psalms will help in prayer. He notes that it was 30 years into his marriage before he and his wife finally started praying together. 30 years. And you know what happened? As he put it, he said, the penny had to drop. My wife was diagnosed with a debilitating and near deadly, if not guaranteed deadly, illness. And she went, Kathy Keller went to Tim and said, Tim, we have to pray together. And he said, we did for a little while. And then the business of ministry and the demands of life took over. He says, one day I came into our apartment there in New York City. And my wife pricked her finger and she wiped blood over the headboard. And he's like, what are you doing that for? She goes, this needs to remind you how serious we need to take prayer. She goes, if I told you, this is Kathy talking to her husband, Tim Keller, which for many of us, Keller gets put on this pedestal. And, and, and Kathy is telling her husband, she goes, if I told you that every night at 11 p.m., exactly, you had to take a pill, because if you didn't, you would die. Would you ever miss it? because i was too tired the day was long i got too busy and her answer was no and she said we have to pray or we will not survive why do i share that with you because because i am nearly 30 years into my own marriage and and bluntly as a husband confession is good for the soul And as a father, I don't pray enough. Throw pastor out the window for a second. I don't pray enough as a husband and as a father. And one of the things that God has used is I've been thinking about this. And let me be real clear. I blame Jared for this. Okay. You can laugh about that. He said, you know, I think we really need to focus on prayer. And as I just thought about this, the weight of my unfaithfulness overwhelmed me. That's not noble. That doesn't make me good. All that says is I deal with a lack of faithfulness like you deal with a lack of faithfulness. Don't think your pastors have got it so figured out we don't struggle with such things. We do. You know, for some here, what I hope is that I say these things and you're going, this does not resonate with me because I pray too much. I I will tell you, and and I don't say this to to build up hubris and pride in some of you, there are some, and and I'll admit, everyone that I could think of is probably a woman. There may be an exception, but they are the ones I go, they pray, and they, they pray like their life depends upon it. And there may be some here that what I just shared, you're like, doesn't really resonate with me. God bless you. I praise God that the Spirit has worked in your life that it doesn't, that you take it seriously. But, but basically, my, my main argument, that I, and, and what I'm going to make a plea for today, is a plea that we would pray. And if you pray, that you would pray more. fundamentally today what I want you to walk out of here is that you would pray if you do not pray and if you do that you would pray more at the most basic level what I want for you to do is to walk out of here and pray not just once not just for a season at a time but to use Paul's words I want you to pray constantly and regularly and without ceasing Now, how do I intend to convince you to do that over time? Well, let me be honest for a second. I don't think there's a specific formula. I just went through men that date back to the late 1800s all the way up to the present day. If they couldn't figure out how to find a formula to convince everybody to pray more, I'm on a fool's errand by myself. So I am not so so proud to think that I'm going to preach something today in such a way that my preaching is going to compel you to pray more. What I believe is that the work of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God will compel you to pray more. All that said, I think we desperately need to pray. The word desperate is intentional. I I like how Paul Miller puts it. Learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. We know this. We call them battlefield conversions. Someone says, God, if you'll save me, uh, I'll do this. I'll give my life to you. Now, let let me say something very quickly about that. Our Lord does not need your life. So you do not need to bargain with him. He will save you whether you're in a foxhole about to die or living as a millionaire with no need of him. What we need to understand, though, is that where God brings us to the point of desperation, that's our point of greatest strength. Because now we begin to rely on him and not ourselves. One of the things I'm going to do, tell you today to do is to pray until you Pray. That's how the Puritans put it. What you need to do is you need to pray until you, parenthetically, actually pray, right? I still remember the first, the first prayer that my wife ever prayed. I, I remember it vividly because I can almost repeat it word for word. We were at university together. We sat down to have dinner together, I don't know if you've ever done this whoever got their thumbs up last had to pray what a way to choose a pray who gets to talk to the creator of the universe the one who's slowest to get their thumbs up not biblical but it's what we did and then i think i can quote it dear god bless his food amen <laughs> to which i thought one i don't know if i close my eyes i don't think it counts but okay two i should marry this woman i get to eat faster and three, when I looked at her, she also made a comment, you should have a prayer life outside of the supper table. Oh, there's a thought. Pray until you pray. The Puritans, when they were saying this, were saying, give yourself over into times of lengthy prayer so that it's no longer just a formula, right? Pray for a given amount of time at length so that the spirit would move in you, that Jude 20 would be real. It's interesting because Jude 20 says we need to pray in the Holy Spirit, which has this weird inference. Does that mean you can pray outside the Holy Spirit? And the answer actually is we'll even see our Lord acknowledge this. Yes, you can, which is to pray in an unchristian way. I don't want to pray like a door-to-door salesman. You know how they work, right? The guy or the gal that r- runs up to your door, they, they stick the advertisement, the marketing material on your door, or they hang it, they ring your doorbell, and they run away, right? And their hope is you'll read the material, but I don't want to actually have to have a conversation with you, right? I don't want to pray like that. God, I hope you noticed that I wanted to have a conversation with you. Here's my list. Be back later. Or or I don't want to pray like some of us do at meals with our family and I'm here with you, right? I'm here with you. Yeah, I'm listening, whatever. Right here. Yeah. So have you seen this post, by the way? This is a great, have you? Some of us, that's how we pray with God. We are so distracted by everything else that we will not focus on being in God's presence and pray. I want to pray until I pray that I would give dedicated time to my prayer life now look I, I realize this is a challenge and I don't mean that because you don't want to do it like um look small children raise five of them right your small children are not on your prayer schedule so there are challenges and life doesn't just go around what you've scheduled your prayer time, but there are times in which we can give focused, intentional prayer. And sometimes that means we have to get up early or stay up later, or as we're working this week, in times of fasting, when you say, you know what, I'm going to give up a meal. Because I like to say, there's a lot of things in this life I'll die of. Starvation's not one of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just not on my list. But one of the things that teaches me is I need God more than the food that sustains my physical life. To give dedicated time to pray until I pray. You know, our own Lord showed this by his example in in his own life. Read the Gospels, and you will find that our Lord repeatedly, constantly prays. In fact, the word prayer that's used in the New Testament It's used 17 times in the Gospels. In fact, if you look, interestingly enough, it only occurs in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You go look for that word in the book of John. John doesn't use the word prayer. He just literally describes it. This is what Jesus said to his father. Where do we find the high priestly prayer? The book of John. But when that word prayer is actually used to describe the activity of our Lord, you realize that the 17 times it's used, 14 times is about him withdrawing privately to go talk to his father it's not a public display for him it is an intimate desperate conversation with the father i mean this is shown in probably in its greatest uh, occurrence in the garden of gethsemane i mean our lord cries out to a father if this cup can pass from me then let it pass however or nonetheless or regardless not my will father but your will be done. Our Lord prayed in the way that he shows us and teaches us to pray as we'll see. He tells us in, in Luke 18, through a parable, as Luke summarizes it, it says that we ought to always pray. We should always pray. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over, and I'm, I'm not going to go through... In, in inordinate detail the lord's prayer but look there in matthew chapter 6 in matthew chapter 6 i'm going to make some some basic points about what you see leading up to the lord's prayer as we call it and what you're going to hear is two negative ways of not to pray and you're going to hear two positive ways of how we should pray and then I'm going to end with us in a time of prayer, using the Lord's Prayer as a basic guide. So, if you're looking there in Matthew chapter six, in verse five, it says, "And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, right?" And notice the hypocrites—they they like to do what? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. We know from other uses in Matthew 15 and 22 and 23 that Jesus was given to calling those pharisees who did things for pleasing men hypocritical and that's what he means in this case now we need to be careful you realize there were some pharisees in fact we know later many of them came to christ that were serious about their commitment to christ but there are at least is a subset of them that that would pray in such a way that it was hypocritical And Here's the first warning to you. Don't be so arrogant to think we can't do the same thing. Oh, I'm a Christian. Yes, and you can pray in very unchristian ways. And Our Lord knows this is a real risk because the two negatives he uses is to say, don't do it like these people. He's telling his disciples, don't follow their pattern. Those who literally were his direct followers. So don't be so arrogant to think you can't fall into the same. And he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, listen to his words. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What he's saying is do not pray to be blessed by man. Our Lord is saying you should not pray in a way that you are seeking to be blessed by man. That's how a hypocrite plays. You are seeking a reward for man. This is, here's the basic underlying point. If you pray to be seen by men, it's like you're praying to man. Think about that for a second. If your goal in your prayer is to be blessed by man, you're not really praying to God. It's as if you're, you're praying that those men, those women, those other people will bless you. So you're not praying a Christian prayer at that point. You're praying a self-centered human prayer that man will bless you. And our Lord says, don't do that. Examine your heart. Don't pray in such a way that it brings about to you, attention to you so that others will think greater of you or maybe bless you with things. Well, if you're doing that, you receive the blessing. That's what the, the idea of reward is. The, re, the word reward there also gets translated wages. In our modern parlance, we would probably say that it is a blessing, right? We, we like to say God's blessed me. That, that's the idea here. But if you're seeking the blessing of man, then you've already received it. Don't expect that God would bless you. In no small part, you've prayed effectively to be blessed by man, not to be blessed by God. In fact, notice it does not say not to seek a reward. That's not what this says. It actually tells you the opposite. You should seek a reward, a blessing. Just don't seek it from man. Notice the and how he contrasts it. He says you are to pray to be blessed by God. In Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You realize he doesn't say throw out like God's not going to bless you. It's not that. It's actually stop praying for the blessing of man. Pray for the blessing of God. Pray that way. The second negative he says is there in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So he just told you, don't pray like a hypocrite. Now he's going to tell you, don't pray like a Gentile. What does he mean by that? Well, don't pray to get God's attention. Now that sounds weird for a second, doesn't it? Hold on. Don't pray to get God's attention. Well, that's exactly what the Gentiles were doing. They thought if they heaped up enough phrases, enough of the right formulaic sayings, if I can just pile it over and over, Well, God will take notice of me. But do you realize Jesus actually argues against that? He's like, you don't have to pray to get God's attention. Not if you're a child of God. Why? Look at the argument. He says, just just look at the verse as you're going down. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases of the Gentiles, for they think they would be heard for their many words. Right? Right? Instead, pray knowing that your father already knows what you need. You don't have to get God's attention because he doesn't know what you need. He already knows this. You see, the point is that you need to pray with confidence in God's good foreknowledge, desire, and ability. Now, I try to find a fancy word to sum that up. doesn't exist, so you get three words. You need to pray knowing God's good foreknowledge. He already knows what you need. That's exactly what it says in verse 8, doesn't it? You don't have to pray to get God's attention to give you what you need. He already knows it. So don't pray that way. Instead, pray with confidence that your God who is your father, already knows what you need and has both the desire and the ability to deliver upon it. Is that not what Romans eight twenty eight confirms to us? God does what with all things? He causes them to do what? Work for our good, those who are called according to his purpose. God will use all things for our good. It is a guarantee. I don't have to say, God, please do good things for me. He already knows what you need. And he already knows what you need to bring about good things. And our problem is so often, it's almost like we think, God, I've got to bring to your attention something you may not know that I need. Right? That's not what it tells us here. It tells us exactly the opposite. You do not have to pray to get God's attention. You don't need some magic formula that will get his attention. What do you do? Go and talk to him. Pray. I, I look at, like how Gary Miller calls it. He says, "You know what prayer is? It is calling on the name of the Lord to deliver upon calling upon the name of the Lord upon God to deliver on the promises He's already made." That's what you're doing. So just like Pastor Jared when he's up here, what do he tell us to do? Read Scripture, right? And know we are needy, right? And what has God already done? He's told us in Scripture that he can deliver all that we need. So we, we go looking elsewhere to find all that we need, and, and what God is telling us is if you would pray with the earnestness and desperation, I already know it. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't use means of grace in other ways to deliver, right? There's a reason why we gather as a body, right? We come together. Why do we come together? If you don't know. You're in a war. And it's not easy. And and if you want to look around, you know what this is? Okay, AA has nothing on us. This is a support group. It is a bunch of people supporting one another to say, it is worth the fight against sin to serve our Lord. We come here so that we can support one another, and through that support, glorify our God to say, sin loses. God wins. And you need to remember that over and over. You will forget. Give it a few days. You will forget. There is something in your life that you will forget and think that sin will win. It is part of my job as a follower in Christ along with you say, no, it won't. I know it won't. Why? Christ died on the cross and has victory over sin. So you may fight it the rest of your life, but it will not win out. And you need to hear that. And so there's ways that God will use means of grace to support one another. But you need to realize that a key part of this, the desperate essential part is we pray to God, knowing he already needs what we need. God, give to me what you already know that I need. Give that to me. You don't have to take a list to God and say, I don't know if you know I need all these things. Now, you can affirm to him and say, God, I know you're aware of this. Help me so that I am doing your will. Notice how he finishes. And this is where I want to finish today is in the Lord's prayer, just leading us through a time. He says then, knowing those things, pray then like this. Now, let's read the Lord's prayer in that context. You do not have to, do not pray to be blessed by man, but rather pray to be blessed by God. And do not pray as if though you have to get God's attention because you're his children. Rather, pray with confidence in God's good and foreknowledge, desire, and ability. Now, notice then, Jesus says, knowing those things, pray like this. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Okay. Let's be real clear. If you don't know Christ, you've never placed your faith in him for your salvation from your sin. He is not your Lord and Savior. This prayer is of no use to you. Because this is a prayer for those who are God's children. Our Father. So my challenge to you, if you don't know Christ, talk with me. Talk with one of the pastors who has been up here. Let us share the gospel fully and clearly with you. That if you will place your faith in the Son of God, who became incarnate, Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for your sins, that you too can pray this prayer with us. This is a prayer for God's children. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Pray for the glory of God. When you pray Pray for God's glory, not your glory. Pray that he would be glorified. But notice then he goes on, your kingdom come, come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Pray that God's rule and reign, that the very will of God will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Unless you miss it, particularly in your life and in my life as the body of Christ. God, if it happens nowhere else, May your kingdom be true in my life. May your will come in my life, just like it was I was already in heaven. I want you to eradicate sin in my life like that, Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. God says, pray that I will meet your needs. Because I am the God who already knows your needs before you know them. God, you hear those words, give us this day our daily bread. Supply the very need of my life. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That is an interesting thing that people struggle with. Oh, will God not forgive me unless I forgive others? Well, here's the deal. God forgives you long before you forgive others. Because our God in his eternal plan knew he would bring about your redemption. So he did not predicate his forgiveness of you on your forgiveness of others. He said, I'm going to forgive you when you're my enemies, when you're in utter rebellion against me. But what he does say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You are praying that God will forgive you and give you that heart of forgiveness. You realize biblically, the Bible's clear. The way, it, even early. and I remember it was, it was Pastor John or, or, or Pastor Jared that said it, the attitude we bring into prayer matters. You remember the story that, that our Lord told? There is a, there is a, a, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and, and that tax collector is like, God, woe is me. Save me. I'm a sinner. Pharisee looks over and says, I'm glad I'm not like him. What's the heart of the gospel in prayer? I'm exactly like him. God, change my heart that I would forgive him as you've forgiven me. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, or as Pastor John said, from the evil one. Pray that God would protect you because you cannot protect yourself. One of the hubris that we have is to think, if I can just get everything right, I can protect myself from temptation and not sin. The reality is God must work to protect us from temptation and sin. Here's how I want to end. I'm going to to lead us in a time of prayer, and then um, Pastor Jerry's going to come up, lead us in a time of benediction, and we'll sing one last song. I want you to close your Bibles for a moment. I just want you to set everything aside. I'm going to read back through this lord's prayer and i'm just going to give you a few moments that we would corporately pray together i i pray that you're going to walk out of here today desperate to pray more so i'm going to lead us in a time of prayer let me say this quickly you'll notice that for my my own example if you hear me pray i'll say i always start with father or dear father why Because the pattern that my Lord laid out was a conversation with God the Father. And that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't hear you. In fact, I can make argument from the New Testament that Jesus does hear our prayers as well and you can address Him. So it's not this fundamental sin if you address Jesus. Or even the Spirit. But the primary person addresses Father. So you'll hear me pray. Father, and then I'm going to pray things. And then you'll hear me in my prayer in two ways. In Jesus' name... Because the only way that I can pray to the Father is if I'm in Christ. And you'll hear me say, by the Holy Spirit. Because it is my prayer that I am praying in the Spirit, as Jude 20 says. Not merely out of my own strength. And it reminds me in using those words, and they're not a magical formula. It doesn't mean if you get those right, God's going to do what you want to do. He's not a genie. God is a sovereign God who responds out of his foreknowledge, not mine. But if you've never prayed before, you're not certain, like, what? It's Father, and I ask things, and I say things to Him, and then I remind myself that I want to do this in Jesus' name and by the Spirit. And then we use the word amen. Ironically, that word comes more often in the front than in the end of the New Testament. Amen, amen, which we translate truly, truly, what we're saying is amen. May this be true. So now as you pray, let me lead you. So let's start. Dear Father, our Lord has taught us to pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, we acknowledge that you are the God above us and beyond us. And so we say may your name be hallowed may it be holy because you are different than us greater than us and we are thankful for this we do not want to serve a god created by men father may your name be holy particularly in our lives father we pray that your kingdom would come that your will would be done on earth where we are at as it is done in heaven god that you would bring about your kingdom in our lives in the lives of our bodies as churches and that your will would be done in our life in such a way that it would be like heaven i don't know how you will do that father But I pray that you would do that in my life and the life of our bodies. Father, we pray because we know you already know our needs. And so we pray, give us our daily bread, supply for our needs. We trust that your foreknowledge is good, that your desire for us is good, and that you are able to accomplish all that you desire and know. And so, Father, we pray, bring those good things about in our lives. You know our needs, Father, and so you hear our hearts where we are suffering from loss of loved ones. Father, where we are struggling with depth of besetting sins in our lives that will not relinquish them from our own hearts. God, that you you know in our lives that we as a people are unfaithful in our lives. God, I say, give us what we need so that your will would be done in this place in the work of your body the body of the son the body of christ do your work in us in such a way that the kingdom of god would be here amongst us because you supply for our needs and not because of what we demand and so father we pray that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts owed to us. God, develop in our hearts the hearts of forgiveness so that we can say we forgive as our God forgives. And God, we pray, forgive us and work on our hearts so that we would not hinder others to know the forgiveness of our God. And lead us, Father, not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, or Satan himself, the evil one, who would lead us into temptation. God, we 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 acknowledge our insufficiency and our inability to protect ourselves from temptation. That Father, it is the work of the Spirit, through means of grace in our life, through executing Your plan and Your will, that brings about our protection. And so, God, we pray. May we follow your will in such a way that you would be so faithful to protect us from temptation itself. self. And God, when we face it, that we would not stare it down as if though we can have victory in our own power, but that God, we would know that our Father, who knows our need, has already supplied the sufficient grace to overcome even our weaknesses. And so God, we pray these things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that it would be done by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we say together, Amen. All right, Jerry.